Hello and welcome to another episode of Quick Looks from the Longview. Uh, this episode is being recorded on Monday, June the 12th, 2017. And uh, today we're going to be taking a look at a couple of titles from Tasty Minstrel Games. We're going to take a look at Guilds of London. And we're also going to take a look at a, a brand new release um, that is being distributed here in the United States by Tasty Minstrel called Guns and Steel. So uh, also a fun episode uh, today because I'm uh, going to be joined by uh, my uh, former co-host. Uh, great to have you back on. We haven't had a chance to record in a while. So with me today here is Lloyd Keller. So uh, Lloyd, uh, hello. Welcome back. And I uh, was wondering if you could say hello as a arms dealer who is trying to sell some uh, cool weaponry to a petty dictator. All right, right. See, like, I got your guns and I got your missiles here and I got I got lots of different ammunition that are like blow holes and tanks and things like that. And and, and for those, those guys that like to hunt at night, like, I got those goggles that like turn everything green for you. Nice, nice. Okay, so he was kind of from Brooklyn, am I guessing? Possibly. Is he maybe from Brooklyn? Possibly. I don't know. I don't know. You, you had a couple different accents going there at one point or another. Not sure. But uh, I, I'm also a little concerned that the guy trying to sell me stuff says, I got goggles that turn things green. Instead of like the, the Univision <laughs> TX39 night vision goggles. Like you would think you would know your product. You know, you ballistic go through things. Like, you would be describing <laughs> it as like uranium depleted shells or something. No, no. Yeah. You, you're like, I got bullets that go through things. <laughs> what kind of arms dealer are you? <laughs> I got stuff that goes boom, boom. <laughs> well, speaking of boom, boom, we're going to be talking that's right. about. That's right. We'll be talking about le boom. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, Lloyd, welcome back. It's nice to have you on the show again. Uh, we're recording this right before. Uh, I head off to my uh, trip to Origins, which I'm very excited about. I haven't had a chance to go there yet, so it's going to be one that I can kind of cross off the list once I've had a chance to go. Looking forward to going there and uh, meeting up with uh, Joe Salen and his brother from uh, The Good, The Board, and The Ugly with uh, Joel Letty. Um, just, it's it's going to be uh, with uh, Eric Tao. It's going to be a, uh, from the Push Your Luck podcast. It's going to be a great time. So really looking forward to uh, getting a chance to hang out and play some games. Um, so, um, without any further ado, let's get this episode going. So, before we begin uh, tonight's episode, I do want to kind of send a shout out to uh, my generous sponsor, GameSurplus.com. Go and check out uh, GameSurplus uh, for the best online board gaming purchasing experience that you can have. Uh, and now their services are, are kind of moving even further um, to be inclusive of more great benefits, um, such as the sort of personal shopping experience you can get if you're looking for a out-of-print title or something that's very hard to find or something that hasn't been released here in the U.S., uh, you can drop Carmen an email over at games at gamesurplus.com and uh, ask him to track it down for you. And uh, I have yet to not have him be able to get it for me. So uh, that's number one. Number two, um, he has a wonderful community calendar where he's posting uh, dates of uh, local conventions, national conventions, uh, all sorts of information for board gamers. Um, in addition, uh, he runs events in the local community. He's reaching out there. And you can also uh, read a little bit in the About Us section of the new webpage. 
uh, a little bit about his personal mission and the things that he's tried to do uh, with board games as therapy. So um, Carmen is really uh, trying to bring board games to a lot of different places, look at board games in new and exciting ways. And that's one of the reasons that I'm so proud to have him and his uh, lovely uh, wife, Elaine, as uh, my sponsor here on The Long View. Um, also, um, one of the uh, titles we're talking about here is Guilds of London, and he's got that one in stock and on sale. Uh, looks like Guns and Steel. Uh, he may be sold out of at the moment, but since it is uh, coming out very quickly, um, I think he should have more of those in stock relatively soon as well. So uh, if after today's episode you find that uh, you're really interested in one of these two titles, or perhaps both of them, uh, please be sure to check out Gamesurplus.com. And if you do decide to order from them, please be sure to tell them the Longview sent you. So the first game that we're going to be talking about today, uh, as we listen to my son's lunch sizzling as it comes out of the toaster oven, say hello, Carter. Hello. There we go. Um, (laughs) The first one we're going to talk about today is we're going to be talking about the game Guilds of London. Uh, This is a game that uh, was designed by Tony Boydell. Uh, He is a designer of Note um, for the game Snowdonia and uh, many of the expansions there. Um, he also has uh, released some other games as well. I'm trying to... Um, Scandaroon, I think, was one that he had released um, that was his design as well. But I would say Snowdonia is probably the one that really made the biggest splash. Uh, this is a game uh, that is for one to four players, Guilds of London, that is. It was released in 2016, but has just recently become widely available in the U.S. Uh, the first print run kind of ran out very quickly. Uh, the second print run um, that Tasty Minstrel did... Um, has put it into wider distribution and given people a chance to play it. Uh, the artists listed is uh, Tony Boydell, Clemens Franz, uh, Charlie Paul, and Pedro Soto. Um, this is uh, a game for one to four players, saying it takes about 45 minutes to play. And Lloyd, I'd say that's about accurate, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's pretty close, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And it's got a weight listed of 2.97 out of 5. And I would argue that the game initially has a weight that is probably higher than that, but once you kind of learn some of the iconography and the way things are presented in the game, uh, then it kind of really does drop quite a bit, and uh, it's much more kind of comfortable uh, to play. There is a little bit of a learning curve here, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, So uh, this is a game that uh, I was really interested in primarily because of Snowdonia, which I thought was a really solid design. And also, of course, Tony from his blog, where he's very active in the BGG community, and just a general all-around nice guy. Um, So this was somebody that uh, I was interested in supporting. Uh, When I originally saw the concept of the game, which is um, sort of the old guilds of the city of London, I thought, ooh, okay, that's kind of cool. Because unlike some reviewers, I really still do like medieval themes, and trading in the Mediterranean is okay with me. Uh, I know Tom Vassell would hate me for saying that, but um, yeah, I mean, I I do like history and I like historically based things. And so I was intrigued when I first heard about it. And of course, I heard that the main mechanic uh, was area majority. And I thought, oh, I love love me some area majority games. So I thought, cool, uh, this is definitely one I want to check out. I was a little sad to hear that apparently um, Tony, from what I uh, have read, wasn't able to kind of get the actual names of the actual guilds, I guess, from Historic London, because I guess somebody pitched a fit about it or uh, something or other. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, it, it, it kind of fades into the background. It, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you have all these cool little names of the guilds, you know, uh, that you read on the individual tiles. Uh, now, these tiles actually form the entire playing area. They form the board. So it's a modular design. 
uh, which is fun because it's going to give you some variation from play to play. And you're going to see some guilds in some games and some in other games. And you're not always going to get the exact same combination. So that's kind of cool. Um, the game is primarily card-driven, where you have cards that are multiple use. So uh, you can use cards from your hand as uh, money to pay for powerful effects that you might see on another one of your cards. So you have a hand of cards, and if there is an effect that you want to use, say, uh, I want to send some people from the Guild Hall in London uh, over to the colony in Virginia, um, then you might have to pay for that. And so you'll have to look at the rest of your cards, and you'll have to um, then decide, okay, um, which cards do I want to discard as money? So one of the ways you can use your cards is as money. Another way you can use them is for the aforementioned kind of main effect. And the cards are relative. I mean, they're not all unique by any stretch, but there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of different cards. Um, and then you also have uh, the ability to uh, simply discard a card in order to hire uh, a liveryman, okay, which is kind of one of your workers, or to move a liveryman to an orthogonally adjacent uh, area. Um, lastly, you can use the card for its color. They kind of have different sort of colored banners. So you have like, you know, a scythe that's, that's a yellow card that, um, you know, you have a crown that's a purple card, like a royal card. Uh, you have the, the sort of uh, compass uh, that you might use in, uh, um, you know, engineering or mathematics, um, which are kind of red cards. So there's these different kind of colors. If you discard a card of a particular color, then that means you can move a worker from the guild hall, which is always set up in the middle of the playing area, to uh, a guild of the matching color. So you can actually leap around the board, which is very different from a lot of area majority games that I've played where you kind of have to do that sort of slow plotting movement to get from point A to point B. Here you can kind of jump, which is really kind of nifty. So at its heart, what you're trying to do is you're trying to win these tiles. These tiles all have kind of like what I would call a break number on them. Maybe that's actually what they call in the rule book. Could be where I got it from. But uh, it's basically a number, and it's the number is the number of your liverymen or your agents or your, your pawns or your helpers, whatever you want to call them, that need to be on a tile in order to score it. Now, they don't all have to be yours, but you have to have that number there. So if the number on the tile is five and there's three of mine there and two of yours there, Lloyd, then I have the majority, all right? Although there are some ways that we'll talk about later that you can affect that. If you score that tile, whoever is in first place is going to get um, a victory point benefit and then sometimes a secondary benefit. And then whoever's in second place is going to get some sort of benefit as well. And sometimes a secondary benefit. Not always, but sometimes. So that's a really kind of an interesting sort of, uh, um, you know, jockeying for position because there are sometimes because the rewards that you get for being in second place, there are times when the reward for second place is in some ways greater than the reward for first place, or it's just as good. Um, and so you don't care if you come in second, um, or maybe you do want to come in second, uh, because a whole nother part of the game that we haven't talked about are these sort of mayor cards. And these are the cards that are going to give you end game bonus scoring and they're secret. Okay. So maybe you have a card that says, Hey, for every second place um, token that you've taken during the course of the game, you get a point or something like that. Uh, or maybe you're going to get points for every royal purple guild that you control with a guild master. Um, and the way you control a guild is by winning the majority. 
You win the majority. You flip the tile over. It's very colorful and very pretty, so it looks very different from the rest of the board, which is nice because it doesn't confuse you in any way. Wait, is that one flipped? Is it not flipped? Like, it's really clear. And one of your pieces that you put on there to gain the majority has to stay there as your uh, master of that guild, right? The master of the house, right? You can sing that song. Master. Master. <laughs> master of the house. Master of the guilds. Pulling us strings. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the rest of your guys go back to the guild hall where you can then deploy them uh, to scurry off and do some business elsewhere. At the end of the game, whoever has scored the most victory points, surprise, surprise, is the winner. Uh, the way you can score points during the game is by winning the aforementioned guilds. I think that's the second time I've used the word aforementioned. i got to stop that. Um, maybe I said previously mentioned, right? Previously in this episode of Quick Looks. And then I'd have to have like, some little sound effect, like Law & Order, boom, boom. You know, boom, boom. Like um, no, 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 that's the wrong kind of sound effect. I'd make people look behind them and think they're going to get stabbed or something. <laughs> <sighs> no Assassin's Guild in this no one. No Assassin's Guild in this one. That's true. That's true. Although, anyway. So, um, you can score points by uh, uh, winning guilds. You can also score points uh, in the colony. Okay? The colony itself, um, depending on which colony you choose, there's two that come with the game, and you know you can have one side up or the other. Uh, that can be a, a big source of victory points. It, it really helped me in today's game, as a matter of fact, because uh, we played it with three for the first time. And uh, I was getting those seven points from the Virginia uh, plantation tile, like, constantly. I I got, I think, all but one round of that. And I was terrible in the rest of the game. Yeah. I I think I finished with two guilds or something as guild master. Like, I really, no, three. Uh, I got the last one in the very last round, but it was not much. I mean, it just Mm -hmm. wasn't very, it was not a good game for me. Uh, But I almost won it because of that plantation tile. Um, I just made sure that I had secured that. So that's another source of points. And then, of course, you can also get points from certain card effects. So there are cards, for example, that say, hey, you know, discard two cards as money and get four victory points. All right, sweet. You know, most of your guild tiles are worth between three and four victory points. So that's almost as if you won a guild tile. So that's kind of cool. And then, of course, you have those really important endgame bonus cards, which can be hugely important. Uh, it's what won uh, Carter today's game um, mm-hmm. as we were kind of going through that. So um, it's a really interesting game. Um, the components are, are perfectly lovely. Um, the uh, cardstock is good. They shuffle well. They're not that super stiff cardstock that you can sometimes get from you know places like GMT where they're like really really thick and hard to shuffle. Um, you know I, I think the the little liveryman pawns are cool. There's also this cool little dude called the Beetle who yep. is a uh, you know, big gray pawn, uh, and he can kind of bop around the board. Um, either he kind of moves on his own through a very simple AI, or uh, players can move him due to card effects. And he reduces the number. You know, He kind of counts as somebody. So if there's a card that needs a four, uh, if there's a guild that needs four people there, and I have two and you have one, if I move the beetle over there, well, that's now the fourth. So that one will score. And if you went before me, I've now secured a majority uh, simply by moving the beetle, and it's going to score before you have a chance to react to it. So there's some cool timing issues going on with this, too. And this is because you score uh, every, what, three rounds, basically, right? Every three rounds you score. Uh, In the two-player game, there's a flip side, and uh, there's more scoring rounds in that. Uh, And you also, uh, the, the setup for the game is a little different with two player. You kind of have a perfect information like you see all of the guilds uh, at the start of the two-player game whereas in the three and four-player game 
you're going to be revealing new guilds as the game goes along at certain specified scoring rounds, and that's going to make the board grow, and it's going to give you more opportunities and more chances, but uh, you don't have them all out there at the beginning. So when you're looking at a card, say, for example, like, hmm, this card will give me two points for every um, purple royal uh, guild that I have uh, a master on at the end of the game, and this one will give me for every yellow guild. Um, and I'm looking at the board, and I'm like, well, there's one and one. There's one purple, there's one yellow, you know? Uh, what's going to come out next? I don't know, you know? Which do I take? So you, sometimes you have to kind of make that decision based on sort of a, a, your, just your instinct. Whereas in a two-player game, you can look at the whole board, and you're like, well, there's three yellow and there's two purple. So I'm going to go for the yellow because that has the at least the potential to get me more points kind of a thing. So that's really nifty, too. So uh, players are going to take turns playing cards out of their hand. They can play as many cards as they want. Uh, the standard hand limit is seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and you use them in the way I've described. And, you know, you just kind of go around the table, everybody taking a turn, and then you advance the turn marker. Uh, at the end of a scoring round, you kind of pause the game. You see if any guilds have reached their break point. Uh, you look at that plantation tile. And you kind of just, just, you know, assign your victory points and make your turn order and then go, go, go. So um, it's it's really a, a very, very um, engaging and much more thinky game than you would think just from looking at it. So uh, that's kind of a general overview. Um, Lloyd, what were your impressions of playing this one? Because this is actually the first time you played it. Yeah, this is the first time. Player. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, tell me <clears throat> what your impressions were. Well, I definitely enjoyed the game. I will agree that it is very thinky. There were a couple of times today where I actually stopped the game for a good two minutes or so while I was looking at the cards I had in my hand, looking at the guilds that were out, looking at the abilities on the cards of my hand, and sometimes referencing and re-referencing those icons and the, the variations of them, and just trying to puzzle out for a minute or two, what do I want to do on this turn? Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough that most of the game I ended up going last, which in turn player order for an area majority game is sometimes very good. Mm-hmm. And that worked to my benefit maybe once or twice throughout the game. But yeah, there were a couple of times where I was just, I was a little bogged down and I was trying to figure out, well, I can mess with Carter over here. I could do this, but I'm not really gaining anything from it. Mm -hmm. I could mess with you over here by doing this. Again, not really gaining anything from it. Or I can try and make one big push on my own, probably use all the cards out of my hand. Right. But at least I'll put myself in a different position somewhere, and maybe I'll be able to score something in another round. It was it was definitely difficult for me at yeah, the start. Yeah. Um, what I do appreciate is a, a lot of the variety of what the cards do. And we didn't get into the iconography, but Not yet, no. there is so much as far as being able to move, being able to add new liverymen, being able to maybe move liverymen from the guild hall over to the colonies. Mm-hmm. Lots of different things, like you said, getting victory points. Lots of different things that will let you do something and then, with the same card as a secondary action, do something else. Right. And if you were able to chain some of those together like Carter did in a few turns, I want to say that's probably what gave the game to him, is that he just got the perfect card combinations for the guilds that were out at that moment 
and where he was on the board and what he wanted to do. And he was just able to figure it out and dump, you know, five or six cards out of a hand of seven and get a lot out of it. Whereas sometimes I had a hand of four cards because I had to pass an entire turn, maybe take um, four cards. And with those four cards, I was lucky to maybe get myself second place somewhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was all based on, you know, which guilds I had in my hand. Uh, how far away maybe those guilds were if I had to go one by one movement for those workers. So definitely a lot of depth to this game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I wasn't expecting that at first, but I started to appreciate it the more and more we played. Game was 15 rounds. And I would say those 15 rounds, they went pretty quick. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Considering I was bogged down in maybe four or five of them trying to figure out really what I wanted to do. I liked the way the the chip points go out for second place. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of variety, and you talked about that. There were a couple times where it was the exact same amount of victory points, whether it was first or second. Right. The only difference was, did I really want the benefit? And if I didn't want the benefit you got with first place, I was okay with getting second place. Yeah. Well, was, I mean, you're also you're also okay with getting second place because you're not investing as much. Right. So you know, a lot of times, I mean, I think there's almost Almost every time you would like to have the benefit, though, Lloyd. Like, you know, if you can get the benefit, get the benefit. But, um, you know, if I have to invest three or four of my workers to get that benefit and you only had to invest one to get almost the same number of victory points or sometimes the same number of victory points but without the benefit, then, you know, who really won there? You Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's a really interesting part of the game, which is, you know, one of the things that I try to do a lot is that kind of uh, leeching sort of a thing. Um, you know, if you recall in the game that we played today, uh, and I've done this with Carter and, and uh, you know, with uh, Jason and Sherry and Joanna, I- I'm, I'm almost content a lot of the times to just go for second place and focus on that colony, you know? Yeah. Uh, or on the flip side, where it's not a colony, it's not the Virginia colony, um, it's, uh, oh, jeez, I forget the name of it. But basically what it does is it lets you draw three of those endgame bonus cards and keep one. So I was content to just keep drawing those cards and getting, you know, combos of endgame bonuses. And it's like, well, sure, I might not have a huge board presence by the end of the game. I might have only won, you know, three guilds or something like that. But if they're the right ones, you know, like what that card I had today that said, hey, if you don't have any guilds that are orthogonally adjacent, eight points. It's like, well, that's a perfect card for a dude like me who gets a lot of second place <laughs> right. and only had three guilds that he won because, uh, geez, guess what? None of them are adjacent, so that's an easy-peasy eight points for me. So there's lots of different ways that you can try to go with this, um, focusing on the colony or the bonus cards. Um, uh, Carter loves to focus on the bonus cards. He'll go for any kind of guild. I've actually started to learn how to play him uh, a little bit of a metagame is – if I'm looking at uh, wanting to get um, green guilds, I keep saying purple. So I'm going to change it up. Let's say green because it's mm-hmm. not easy being green, Lloyd. It's not. No. And the green was the church. So the green was the church. Really not easy being Having green to be sometimes. the color of the leaves. I think it would be nicer to be red or blue oh. or orange or yellow. Something Some other color more, like that. Much more colorful like that. <laughs> <laughs> but green's the color of the spring. Anyway. Green can be cool and friendly like – anyway. Sorry. I had a, it could be big like an ocean. I, 
or tall as a tree. I have a little Kermit moment there. Um, God bless Jim Henson. Anyway, um, so let's say I'm uh, going for green guilds, and I see that there's uh, one green guild that the primary benefit is you get to draw bonus cards, and another green guild that has a different primary benefit. I'll go to the different one because I know if I go to the one with bonus cards, Carter's going to fight me for it. So, you know, this is one of those games where if you can avoid confrontation or conflict, go for it because it's going to be more efficient for you. Mm -hmm. But there are also times when you just can't let someone get those bonus cards or as you did to me. All right. You can't let me apparently score that plantation. That That last time. Yeah, which cost me the game. Thank it you did. very much. Um, I still lost, so it didn't matter to me. Yeah, whatever. You're a kingmaker. <laughs> You're a lousy kingmaker. Um, I was in last by a lot, too. <laughs> anyway. Not a, not a couple. It was, it was a lot. It was, it was my first play. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I like that about the game, that there's lots of different kinds of ways to explore. And with the, the random setup, you know, you never know exactly what's going to be there. You can't be totally wed to one particular type of strategy. Because you don't know if that bonus card's going to come to you. You don't know if there's going to be enough guilds of that color out on the board that are going to be there. Um, so you really do have to kind of um, look at that hand of cards and try to, as you said, puzzle through. What's the mm-hmm. best way to use these cards? Um, that being said, I don't find there's a tremendous amount of downtime in the game. Uh, there were a couple times where you slowed down. But for the most part, that's because you're brand new. Right. Um, for the most part, it's just like, I'm going to play this card for this, and I pay for that with this, and here's this card, and that lets me move this guy here, and then I put this guy with that, I'm done. Yeah. And then you discard your cards, and if you played any cards, you get to draw two. If you played no cards, you get to draw four. And so that leads me to one of my two criticisms of the game. Uh, the first one is I really, really hate... Uh, hate's too strong of a word. I, I really don't like games where you get that feeling that you have to pass your whole turn in order to become competitive again. And and the mm-hmm. way this game works is there is a significant amount of hand management. But my experience tells me that with the people I've been playing with so far and the way I've played this game and, and the way the other people that I know play this game... You can't really just play two cards in a turn. Like, you know, when, when every third round is a scoring round, you got to get out there, you got to get on there, and mm-hmm. you got to make your mark. Um, and so, oh, you know, it's just like to have to burn three or four cards in a turn, and then you only get to draw two, then your next turn is like, okay, I have a choice. I have three cards in my hand. I can do something this turn that might be helpful or that will set me up for later, but then I'll have no cards in my hands and I only get to draw two, which really cripples me in this third round coming up. Or I can pass my turn and draw four cards and then I have a hand of seven. And then I can do something really cool the next turn. And so I kind of find that there's these dead spots in the game. And, you know, there are other games I think that have done that better. You know, like I think about Matt Gertz's game Concordia, which I just recently did an episode about. You know, for him, when you pass your turn um, to take your cards back into your hand in Concordia, you get money. And the money is very useful in the game. It's an essential resource. And it kind of reloads you for something awesome. But you don't feel like you just kind of wasted your turn. Whereas in this game, you don't really get any benefit. You're just like, okay, I pass. 
I take four cards. What do you do? I mean, we had, what, two rounds where two of the three of us passed. Yeah. And just took four cards. Yeah. And to me, I mean, I understand how it works. I understand why it's that way. I just wonder if there could have been something better that could have been done to go with that passing action so that it didn't feel like I somehow have just screwed up. Because any game where you have to pass, like I think of Yokohama. Uh, have you played Yokohama I yet? I have not played that uh, you got to play Yokohama. It's a great game. So anyway, in Yokohama, if you don't have enough helpers to put out on the board to make a legal move, you basically have to pass your turn, and you can pull back your, your workers back to your supplies so that you can deploy them again. And, you know, that, like, that can happen, but usually if it happens, it's because you screwed up. You did something wrong. Like, you didn't really figure out, like, how to manage your workers well enough. Like, I've had games now of Yokohama where I think the last game I played, I had to pass once, I think. Once. That was it. Um, and, and I think when I first started playing Yokohama, I had to do that, like, three times. I just couldn't quite get the handle on how to manage my workers. And so the passing is kind of like a just punishment for poor play. Whereas in this game, I don't feel that you're playing bad. If you're able to do a move that is going to solidify your position on two guilds and send somebody to the colonies right before you score, how is that a bad move? I mean, you're going to be gaining a lot of points. You're going to be gaining masters. But then you really are hamstrung for at least one or two rounds after that where there's not much you're going to be able to do. So in game terms, from a victory point standpoint, it might still be the best thing to do. But as a player, when I'm playing it, I kind of feel like, all right, I had this really cool turn. I'm really happy with it. I love what I did. And now I kind of have to just sit there and don't do much of anything to pay for it. And it's like, okay... So I didn't screw up. I didn't make any mistakes, but now I'm, I feel like I'm being punished. Does that make any sense, Lloyd? It does make sense, and it, it kind of makes me think of one of the automobile games that we've played recently where you can take from anything in front of you on that weird track of the, um, of like the action chips – but the farther ahead you jump to get oh, yeah, what you yeah. really want, right, right. the more the turns keep, the longer you wait. So, I mean, it kind of has that same feel to it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'll agree. There were plenty of times today, it was my first play, where I just passed and I had to draw cards. Right, right. And sometimes I would draw a handful of cards that, okay, they're all a color that I don't even need. Right. There was one point where I had five or six cards in my hand that were all blue. There was one or two blue guilds out. Right. And they already had so many of your guys, liverymen right. on them, that I was just like, mm, I'm, no. Right. Why, right. why take the time to just go fight over those? Right. So now I have to use them for, well, I shouldn't say have to use them, but now I can use them for, okay, maybe what's in the center. I can use them to hire new liverymen, or I can just use them as that straight up money and just move one spot orthogonally at a time. Right, right. But it felt suboptimal. It felt, it felt suboptimal. Like you had somehow screwed up. Yeah, and that, that's, you know, that's one, of my, one of my only complaints about the game. Um, my other kind of Your complaint about the game, um, and it's not so much a complaint as an observation, 
is, uh, and I want you to talk mostly about this because this is new to you today, so we're in a good position for this. Uh, the iconography in this game is a little on the crazy side. Uh, it's not Race for the Galaxy crazy. No. Um, and after a while, it begins to make more sense. But initially, you really do feel, um, at least when I started playing, I don't know how you felt today. Like, I had to look up everything. Like, I didn't understand what anything meant. Um, you know, like, big eyeball, and then, like, a dude in a robe, and then an, and then an arrow, <laughs> and then, like, you know, two things and a slash with the other. I'm like, does that mean I get both? Is that either or? Is that... Now... In this kind of weird uh, language that we've been developing in the board game community for longer than I've been around, there are certain symbols that are kind of common that you sort of can take a good guess at what they mean, and, and you're probably going to be right. But this game is is pretty steep, I felt, with the learning curve for the iconography. So what do you think? I mean, tell us about what your thoughts were about all that. I definitely spent a lot of time in those downplay moments where I just had to reference the cards and Mm -hmm. I had to look on that cheat sheet and scan through the cards and, you know, sometimes the exact card I wanted was there. Sometimes it wasn't and then I kind of had to guess Okay, so it's got a picture. It's similar to this card. It's similar to this card. It's got the outline of a dude and then a less darker outline of a dude and then another less darker outline of a dude. So does that mean I can put as many of those dudes as I want? Or does it specifically mean just three dudes because it's – and yeah, it was – it was a bit steep for my first play. Yeah. It wasn't overwhelming, but it was it was almost annoying that I just constantly had to look, okay, what does this card do? What does this card do? When I'm drawing all of those bonus cards from the mayor stack. Yeah, yeah. You're like, trying to figure out. What do I But those worked does, better, didn't they? Because they had a letter on them. And they then did. from that letter, you just go right to a list and it tells you what the heck the card does. That, that was helpful. And and I wonder sometimes, like, I almost wish that the game would have had that for the rest of the cards as well. Like, if every card had a unique number and then I could just look and read what it does. Right. And by reading what it does, I would learn more of the iconography. Um, instead of having to scan through visually and try to find the matching icons, there right. are some cards that are pretty close to each other as right. far as what icons are on them and what they look like. And so, and then like you said, sometimes they're not there at all and you have to kind of say, oh, but it's just like the yellow card that does this and then that symbol means a master and this symbol means this. And it's just, yeah, it's a little exhausting. Um, okay, so so it wasn't just me. No, it wasn't just you. Not okay. you at all. All right. Uh, and the only other thing I would say from a production standpoint from uh, Tasty Minstrel um, and and their sort of standpoint is I don't know how you don't have four of those in there. Um, you know, the reference sheets are yeah. very nice. They're a really nice cardstock. They're sturdy. It's not just a piece of paper. It's going to be flopping around and getting all wrinkled. It's, a you know, very nice. It's double-sided. Um, it's it's helpful. It's I would go beyond it's helpful. It's necessary to mm-hmm. play the game. And... I don't really want to have to be passing those around. And, you know, when when I played the four-player game, it's like I wanted to look up a card, but Sherry was looking at a card, and so I had to wait for Sherry to be done before I could (laughs) take the cheat sheet to look at the card. And, oh, by the way, it's my turn. I'm like, I'm sorry, guys, you got to wait because now i got to try and find what this card does. Um, And it does eventually fade away. You know, I've played the game quite a bit now, and it, it does fade away. You start to learn it. But it was steeper than I anticipated. Yeah. I really was not expecting 
that level of uh, iconography in in this game. And I think one of the things that um, I, I just kind of I don't know is I don't know whether it's the fault of the iconography or whether it's just the fact that there are so many unique things that Tony wanted to put into the game and unique card effects that it required all of these different icons and this, this, this complex language for him to develop in order for him to communicate that. Um, from an artistic standpoint, not artistic, from a graphic layout standpoint, the icons are large. Yeah. I can see them, which, believe me, is nice. Um, and they're clear. But then they're not clear, like you said, you know, the, the three dudes, you know, the right. slightly faded, you know, what does that mean? Three exactly, three or more, up to three. And then you have to reference the card. Well, it says X plus one or and you're like, OK, so what is that? Oh, that means for every coin I spend, I can put out a dude plus one or, you know, so if I pay three coins, does that mean I put out six dudes or is three coins mean I put out four dudes because it's the number of coins plus one? I think that's what X plus one means. And, you know, it's not like we're doing algebra here, but I, I will say that it is uh, a daunting thing to have to try to figure out all that iconography. All right. Um, is there anything else that you found difficult about the game or something uh, Well, like that? it didn't come into play as far as this first playthrough, but I'd be interested to see how it worked. Um, there are these neutral oh, workers. Yeah. Yeah. And something that we actually had to look up and reference towards the end of the game Every time you go to score one of those guilds, as soon as it he, as mm-hmm. soon as it hits that threshold, it's allowed to go around the table, and anybody that has those neutral workers mm-hmm. in player order is allowed to swap a colored, a colored yeah. one. And I found that very interesting because even at times where I didn't have any teeth. In that guild, I was not there. Right. I could have been messing with you. Oh, sure. I could yeah, have been messing yeah. with Carter. And to me, thematically, for something that's supposed to be an area control game, I didn't quite get that. Hmm. I, I didn't understand why I should have, especially since I hoarded those two, those two neutral workers, I got them very early on, and I kept them almost the entire game. Yes, you did, until you, you totally blew I me up in totally the last I totally did turn. in the last yeah, turn. that's what you're supposed to do with them. But... For me, from a thematic sense and from, you know, if it's an area control game, why should I have that much control over something that I wasn't willing to go to or maybe wasn't able to go to? I think the thing is, is is for for two things. I think the the, the first thing that jumps to my mind is, God, I hope we have interpreted that rule correctly because (laughs) I've been playing it that way the whole time. I mean, it doesn't say uh, with a guild where you have a... Liveryman. It says any, you know, all players around the table get to do this. So, number one, I think it's a reign in the leader mechanic Possibly. where, you know, the table can kind of work to pull somebody back. A uh, little bit of deal making, okay? Mm. Um, and I also think it's there um, for the reason that why not? Why, why not give players that option? Because in general, if I'm spending those little black meeples, okay, the neutral ones, in an area where I'm not even contending, is that really the best use for me of them? Now, if, if somebody is, you know, really ahead 
and I'm trying to stop them from scoring a tile because if nobody has a majority, the tile's not scored, um, maybe it is worth it to me. Maybe I've got a handful of cards that will let me splash a bunch in there and take second place. So by playing a neutral worker, even though I'm not in there yet, it gives me an incentive. It gives me an advantage uh, by letting that stick around a little longer. Oh, and by the way, it's also a green tile that I score bonus points for at the end. So maybe, you know, anyway, um, that would be my guess. But because to me, I'm not going to use those guys in an area where I'm not contending because I want to save them like you were. Yeah. Until it can make a critical difference for me, you know. Uh, the problem for us is Carter managed to get three of them, and he was just able to blast. No, he didn't use them at the end of the. He game. didn't use them. No. Oh, that's oh, that's right. You just you, made me tie. You with passed him. Yeah. on using them. He passed yeah, on using yeah. them, and then, and you, then yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> it was great. I don't need to relive that. See, I had it all in my mind that Carter's the one that messed it up, but it was actually no, you. It was totally me. It was you. It was totally me. Anyway. The dude all the way in the back going, hey, guys. <laughs> Hello. Don't forget, I'm back here, too. <laughs> yes, and you gave the victory to the boy, something you should not do. Anyway. No. So uh, aside from uh, my kind of concerns over the passing and the iconography, um, I really enjoy the game. I mean, I enjoy it um, probably. I, I might have enjoyed today's play the most. Um, Four-player is a little crazy because tiles can fill up so quickly, you know? And there's so many ties. And there's so many times when you think something's about to score and then it doesn't. Uh, and it kind of led to a little more chaotic of a feel for me mm-hmm. um, that I didn't appreciate. Like, I never felt safe with anything. You know what I mean? I could have three guys in a tile that needs three, and somebody could still mess up my day before the scoring round happens. You know what I mean? So with four, I was kind of like, all right, it's it was fun, but it wasn't eh. – I really liked three. Um, even though I've only played it once at three, that was what we did today. I've played it uh, also a decent amount two-player. And it's kind of like a little more chess-like with two. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, that's probably where my preference for leeching points came in. Because, you know, in a two-player game, if you can leech points, you, you're going to be okay. Like, you're going to be close. The game's going to be close the whole time. Yeah. You know, it was, it was kind of funny today. Um, when I play it as a two-player game, it seems that the first player flip-flops constantly. All right? Um because whoever is in first place first and whoever is in last goes last. Um, because being last kind of gives you the hammer in your hand. And, you know, you might be able to swing a majority with the last play of that round. And it can be kind of a good way to catch up. However, in our game today, I don't know the turn order ever changed. I was first the entire game. And you and Carter swapped places a couple times. Yeah, maybe just once or twice. But the rest of the game, it was pretty well set. And, you know, Carter won, you know, so going first is, is not necessarily the best or anything like that. But uh, and, and I, you know, I found that interesting, too. So there's a lot of meat here. There's a lot of things to dig into. There's a lot of things to like about this game. Um, but there is definitely a learning curve. You're going to have mm-hmm. to endure that. If you can endure that and you've got, you know, uh, people who are uh, interested in area majority games and the theme, then by all means, you should definitely check this one out. Um, if you are going to struggle or your group is going to struggle with the iconography, then this might be a play-before-you-buy kind of a game. Um, but if you're used to something like Race for the Galaxy, you'll be fine with this, all right? Um, but it's it's heavier than 
quite a few other games like this that I can think of when it comes to card iconography and the uniqueness of the combinations of icons. So um, other than that, though, I, I really enjoyed it and think it's a solid design from Tony Boydell. So I'm looking forward to see what he does uh, in the future. Uh, Lloyd, any final thoughts about this game? I also enjoyed this game and kind of like you said, Race for the Galaxy. It took me a few plays to mm-hmm. really learn that game. But now that's a game that I love playing, even though I don't get to that often. Right. Mostly because it's a pain to teach. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, this is one I look forward to playing it more, maybe trying it with two with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really learning those icons and really learning a bit more of the gameplay so that I can be more of a challenge for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not just be hanging in the back row going, I'm Wave still it. here. <laughs> Don't forget about me. You're like sitting back there. And me, boss. And me, boss. Anyway. All right, so those are our thoughts about uh, the game Guilds of London by Tony Boydell and published by Tasty Minstrel Games. So the next game up that we have for discussion is another uh, release from Tasty Minstrel. Uh, This one is called Guns and Steel. Uh, First thing I want to tell you is if you are looking for it on BGG, Um, One of the things you're going to want to make sure that you do is use the ampersand sign. I think that's what it's called Um, when you type in the name. Because if you type in guns, the word and and steel, it'll tell you nothing found. Uh, So you have to use the and sign uh, in order to pull the game up. Uh, This is one that is uh, designed by Jesse Lee. Uh, it is for two to four players. Uh, playing time listed is 40 to 70 minutes, and I'd say that's probably uh, pretty accurate. I think 40 is probably closer, at least in my experience, of playing it with two and three. I have yet to play this with four. I'll be honest and upfront about that right away. Uh, but this is kind of a... It's not a tableau builder. It's kind of like a deck builder because you're building a hand of cards. Um throughout the course of the game and it has a a fun little kind of a civilization theme to it so it's almost like a um a civilization game that you can play in like a half hour 40 minutes you know yeah so it's kind of got a neat little niche there for itself um it's currently ranked 6.6 um which is not the best but um i i don't know i kind of enjoyed it more than that uh and i understand that there's an expansion for it Uh, i think it's called uh, the renaissance that adds more cards, yes, uh, to the game. Now, I haven't seen that, uh, but I've heard that it adds a lot to the game and uh, can uh, maybe balance things out a little bit um, from the military. And we'll, we'll talk about that more as we discuss the game. But, um, Lloyd, do you want to take uh, the point on this one and kind of give us a, a general overview of Guns and Steel? Sure. This is a, almost like a micro game because, uh, honestly, you're using just about everything in the box with the exception of maybe a couple of additional wonder tiles or wonder uh-huh. cards. Mm-hmm. And if you're only playing with two players, you take one card of each age out. But essentially, you're looking at three different types of cards. You're looking at civil cards, which usually interact with the other cards in a certain way, give you resources, let you refresh resources, uh, do different things of that nature. You have your military cards or your army cards, and they're primarily used for attacking and sometimes for stealing people's wonders like you did to me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just uh, destroying people's resources. Yeah. And then you have what are called tactic cards, and they work in conjunction with some of these combat cards and some of these army cards. 
But they themselves can also do some interesting things like let you play a card out of hand and maybe activate it as well. So the basic flow of the game is you're going to get a hand of cards at the beginning of the game that do things like let you mine, let you collect agriculture, let you trade with some sort of, you know, uh, trader for a different type of resource. Mm -hmm. You have some warriors and then you have a reinforcements card. And on your turn, you have to do one thing at the beginning, which is take one of your cards and put it face down. Now, at the beginning of the game, all of your face down cards will either be some form of iron resource or some sort of food resource. And everybody starts with the exact same starting cards. Don't you have cards. one horse? Nope. Don't have a horse? You don't get horses. No people. horses. Dude, okay. you got to buy your horses. Okay. <laughs> so you start off with, I think, three food and two iron. Okay. And the first thing you're going to do on your turn is you take one of these cards and you basically deactivate its ability by putting it face down in front of you as the resource. Then the second thing you're going to do is look at what's left in your hand and put that card face up. Whatever that face-up card says to do at the bottom, you may do. So if it's the mining, it might say to... Well, it's not may. I think it's you must. No, it says you may. Oh, may? Okay. You may. I thought it was must. Nope. Okay. But you must play a card face-up. Yes, yes. So you must play a card face-up. And let's say I play mining. It says I can flip over one of my iron cards. And that card can actually flip itself over because it is in itself on the back an iron card. So now I might have two resources in front of me, and I'm going to look at this really neat pyramid in the middle of the table of all the different ages of civilization that we play through, and I get to buy one of these cards. Mm -hmm. So what am I looking at? Well, in the bottom most row, I'm looking at tons of different cards that have a resource on the back, which will be some sort of horse. In the second age or the second row, there's one fewer cards and that's going to give me some sort of, I want to say, is that well, the... It's gunpowder. It's the gunpowder. It's the leboom. Leboom yeah. <laughs> is what we call it. But it's a, it's a gunpowder no, we resource. call it leboomba. Le, le leboomba. Yes. <laughs> leboomba. Le <laughs> so you've got these different type of gunpowder resources. Right. The row above that is different oil resources. Mm -hmm. The row above black that... Gold. Black gold. Texas tea. <laughs> Well, the first thing you know, <laughs> Jed's Jed's Thank you. Came folks in. Jed, move away from there. Anyway. You'll notice I don't interrupt you this much when you're doing stuff. <laughs> but uh, so I'm going to get in trouble for that. Uh, somebody's <laughs> going to be mad at me for interrupting you. I'm sorry. That's all right. So then just, the we're just row, having fun, we're right? We're trying to we're have fun. fun. Are, we, are we having fun? Are I'm, we okay? You're having fun. You're laughing. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. You're right. laughing so much you had to take your glasses That's off. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> so then you've got world resources and the, the, the earth icon is like a free wild resource of yes. anything else. And then in the top row, we, we had to look this up and it took us a while, but uh, you have the space, the space, icon. space yeah. icon and space is actually worth two wild resources. Right. So it's this interesting game. What I found when I was looking at it, the game is essentially a communal tech tree, right? That's really all it is. And everybody has all these cards in the center of the table. And when you go to buy a card, you can buy anything that is quote unquote uncovered, which means it has nothing underneath it. Mm -hmm. Or you can buy something that's covered or partially covered, but you're going to pay extra resources to do that. And that really kind of forces the table as a whole. 
you can't just jump all the way up to the nuclear age. No. You can't get to some of the really good cards all the way at the top because you're never going to have those resources. You're never going to make the conversions. You're never going to have enough of what you need early you, on you in the can, game. You can, though, sometimes jump the one level. You can like, jump, jump one level. one level quite, yes. quite often. You know, so like you if can, you get the barter card or right. you get the earth card. Um, yeah. Which was, oh, geez, what is that one? Uh, the one that gives you the earth. What is that? It's a card that gives you the earth. <laughs> it's a card that gives you the water. You got it, it like wild twice. Earth. I got it twice. I, I don't remember. remember the card. I can't remember what it was. I should remember because I always go. It's wild earth. It's wild earth. Next um, week on BBC, it's wild <laughs> earth. Wild earth. Uh, yeah, so you can often jump one level yeah. if there's a card you really want to get and shake things up. But it is going to be costly because every card has two cards underneath it potentially. Once a card has no cards underneath it, then you just pay whatever the cost is. But if there's two cards underneath it, you're going to have to pay two extra resources of your choice. If there's one, you got to pay one. So you do have some opportunity to kind of jump and surprise people maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, you're not going to be able to jump two or three levels. It's nope. just it, I haven't seen it happen. So I, I don't yeah. think it's designed to happen. So Probably not. Uh, no, probably not. So, uh, and you also see this interesting fading of resources. You know, food... And uh, iron is incredibly important in the beginning of the game. Towards the end of the game, food is still sometimes useful, but there's almost no iron. And you know, no, it's, the it, other it's, way, it's really is it? It's yeah, almost no food. You, you I thought it was no iron. No, you still need iron for your yeah, but it's like one iron, yeah. I think. Right? It's a, whereas other cards are like three yeah. or two. The you know? nuclear vessel needs one iron. One iron for the nuclear vessel. But you don't need to feed them, apparently. No, no, I guess not. They um, live off the rations. You know, they, well, they eat, they, they drink the oil. So. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's kind of interesting the way the resources kind of fade. And one of the games that I played early on, uh, I grabbed a lot of cards that gave me a lot of iron, and I was like, oh, this is going to be cool, but mm, not so much. much. Now, there is the ability to trade your cards, right? Um, You can kind of turn two iron into something else, right? Like two iron turns into... Two iron turns um, into a horse. a horse. Two horses turns into La Bumba. Two La Bumba turns into the oil. Two oil... No, three of three of one resource gets you a wild gets you a wild gets you an earth right gets you an earth, gets you an earth yes. yeah uh, and so, nothing gets you space no because that's the final frontier it is these are the void now <laughs> it's like free so, association television it totally today. is I know I know that's what's fun anyway all right so go ahead and uh, so you got the tech tree so you've got the tech pyramid, tree in right? the middle now the the interesting thing about the game is as you play these cards in front of you when you spend a resource that's on the back of a card. Mm-hmm. Once that resource has been spent, you flip it back over to the front of the card, but it stays in play. And the text at the bottom is no longer valid. It's just an inactive card, an inactive resource. Some cards that you collect will let you refresh some of these resources, which is really cool. At the end of your turn, however, if you have zero cards or one card in your hand, you must pick up every card in front of you that's face up. And then you may pick up back into your hand any of these resources. Right. And you can look and see what the cards are and decide whether you really want to. So anytime you're buying a card in the game, it goes in front of you face up. It's, it's Instead of a discard pile. It's, yeah. it's inactive, yes. Yeah. But, so, but that can be important, though, because when you put it face up in front of you, one of the things we haven't talked about are the wonder cards. Yes. And a lot of times the wonder cards will say things like, well, you have to have... I think for the pyramids, you have to have four uh, civil uh, cards up 
face up, not face down, face up in mm-hmm. front of you, and then you can claim the pyramids at yes. the end of your turn. And so even though the card may be inactive, the fact that I bought it and that it's my fourth civil card in my display is going to allow me to claim that wonder, which is worth three points. So, I, you know, there's there's an interesting economy there. There's like a real tightness to it that uh, I've, I've kind of appreciated. So... Um, you know, the fact that you can exchange resources and some cards are face up, some are face down, it really does give that sort of fun puzzle aspect to it, doesn't it? It's very puzzly because you're only ever allowed to use two cards on your turn. Right. Unless you have a card that says play from your hand this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely very puzzly. And there were plenty of rounds where you would snag a card one turn before uh, yeah. I wanted to, but then I was able to do it back yep. and get that card one turn before you could just because I had the right card combination. I love that East India Trading Company. You know, I plop oh, that down. That I never got it. I wanted I it. I wanted refresh it. refresh an oil and I refresh a Boomba and I refresh an iron. It was beautiful. Yep. I know. Yeah. I loved it. I wanted it. Plus, it's got a pretty picture of a ship. It does. It's, and you never let me have I it. I never let you have it. It's terrible. Like, anyway. You stole my wonder. <laughs> I did steal your <laughs> you wonder. Did. I like how you just yoinked that. You You're kind like, of did. Well, because... What? You like that? That's my wonder now. Right. It's in my yard. It's mine now. <laughs> well, it's because I tried to do it first. I played <laughs> the card. You the did. little swordsman. And I'm like, I'm going to try and steal your wonder. And you're like, oh, no, you're Here's not. Here's my reaction card. dropped a reaction yep. card. Yep. And then the next turn, I played my yes. cannons and uh, blew yeah. up. And that, what we're alluding to here, folks, is the fact that there's definitely direct conflict in this there's game, right? There's a lot. So of if you like don't that. like it, you, this, yeah. this is one you might want to steer away from because uh, the the conflict is is it's either going to trash resources of your opponents or it's going to steal their wonders, and so those are very costly things in in game terms. I mean. And it's one of the great challenges of the game is trying to look around the table and see where people are at at a military kind of standpoint. Um, you know, what cards have they played? Have they played their reaction cards yet? Because reaction cards can be played in response to an attack. Um, you know, so uh, I, I've got, you know, two more military strength than Lloyd does. But if he's got that reaction card, then uh, the reaction card, I think, lets him also I think he can also then play another card. Um, that uh, uh, might have some military value on it. I could lose this. Um, so it's it's really kind of interesting. And the game encourages you to attack because there's no penalty for you if you lose. So if yeah. I attack and I fail, nothing apparently bad happened to me. Other than that you skipped your turn, Other than essentially. I've, yeah, I've kind of lost my turn. That's lost, true. That is true. Yeah, I've kind of lost turn. my turn, yeah. Um, but one of the great challenges of the game is, is kind of where I started with this is trying to get enough resources in front of you to get some of the more expensive cards. Because if I'm sitting there with a bunch of resources face, you know, face down, ready for me to use to buy this cool card, one of the first things that my opponents can do is attack me. Because if most of my cards are out, which they would have to be, and I, I don't know about you, Lloyd, but I always felt like my best cards for resources were also my military cards. Yes. So if I yes. played them face down as a resource, it's like, well, there go my cannons. <sighs> it's like, all right, we beat our, uh, you know, swords into plowshares. Right. Rather than plowshares into swords, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. What do I do? You know, I'm taking that out of my hand and now it's just sitting here saying, beat me, beat me, beat me. Mm-hmm. And if your opponent attacks you, then you've kind of, again, wasted a turn because you're going to lose two resources or you're going to lose a wonder. Yes, but, but... 
if you're being attacked, mm-hmm. any of those resources that had military, yeah, on you the can bottom, flip them. You yep. could choose to flip that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, it's but then you've lost the resource. You've lost still. the resource. You still lost the resource, which still now you might be safe. You might have saved your pyramids, or you might have saved your um, international space. Actually, that would be one of the last ones. You might have saved your wonder, but yeah. you're still going to lose the resources, which yeah. means you're not going to get the card that you were setting yourself up for. So there's interesting choices in that way. Yeah, there are. Um, I have found uh, playing the game that I've really enjoyed my plays of it because I don't mind the take that stuff. The game is short enough that I really don't care. Um, it really is like once you know the game, it's a thirty minute game. It's it's it is. It's not really that long. Um, sometimes you got to sit and ponder and puzzle and think things through and decide. You know how exactly do I want to play these cards? What order do I want to play these cards, etc. But for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. My only real concern about the game is um, I'm a little concerned that with the pyramid format and the fact that you are basically using all the cards every game, that it's either going to start to feel a little scripted after a while or I'm going to find some sort of an optimal strategy that is going to be something that I'm going to do every single game until somebody beats me, right? Yeah. Um, and I understand there is a little bit of variety with the wonder cards, but uh, no, the heart of the game is still going to be the same. Yeah. So I worry a little bit about that. Um, and I also worry that the, the military stuff can be overpowered, although I have less concerns about that after talking to you about it. Because, yeah, if you, if you unsuccessfully attack, you have pretty much wasted your turn. And, you know, you might have left yourself open like you did with me. You know, you attacked me with your lonely warriors there with their spears. No, and I repelled them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you had almost no cards in your hand because they were all out on the table. No, um, I had all my cards in my hand. I thought hand. you had them out face down as resources. Nope. I had them all in my hand. And sure? I had, because I had no tactic cards other than the beginning one. Right. See, I thought you had few cards in your hand because that's how I was confident you wouldn't have a tactic card. I don't know. Anyway, no. I, I believe you. Um, I, I must be mis- misremembering, but uh, maybe I'm thinking of another game of it that I played. But there is a little bit of that card counting and trying to like read the probabilities of what do I think you've played what do I think you have? Uh, what could you potentially, you know, do to me if I attack you, or you know, vice versa? You know, can I defend? So the military, I kind of struggle with a little bit, um, but at the same time, it's a short game. Yeah. Uh, conflict has unfortunately always been a part of history, so it's thematic. Um, it is called Guns and Steel. It by is the way. called Guns and Steel. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget about that. And I would like to see this Renaissance expansion because if if that adds more variety to the cards, mm-hmm. then I think that really would up this game quite a bit because yeah. then you're not dealing with the same sort of static set of cards. Now, before somebody jumps all over me for that, I understand that the cards might come out in a different spot in the pyramid, and so oh well, therefore. This card on the end, as soon as somebody buys that, this card is now free. It doesn't have any cards under it. It's not free, but there's no penalty, and you right. can jump. But not really. I mean, it's it's still basically, with such a limited set of cards, it makes the game really portable. It makes it pretty darn easy to teach, really fast to play, but I am a little worried about that one limitation there. Uh, so I'd be curious what people might uh, have to say in the guild about the expansion. I don't have any experience with it. I know for a while uh, it was available, but I haven't seen it since. I'm hoping the Taste Your Minstrel is going to bring it out. So, uh, Lloyd, do you have any final thoughts about guns and steel? 
other than just the fact I really enjoyed it, we played it twice today. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the first time I actually beat you, and the second time I lost miserably. So, yes. I mean, I kind of got both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And uh, it, it was still fun, both games. Yeah. And it's one that... It does have a lot of very clear icons. Mm-hmm. It has a little bit of text to further explain some spots. Which is nice, yeah. Very nice artwork. Yeah, the artwork's really nice. I the agree. The turns are pretty quick. Yeah, they're snappy. Because you put down a card, you put down another card face up, you maybe get to buy something, and it's your turn. Mm-hmm. And there you go. And Oh, and maybe you claim a wonder. Yeah, which is but, always cool when yeah. you can claim those, so... Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I, I really enjoy the game. I don't know how many plays I'm going to get out of it, uh, but I'm already between Carter and I, and then the one time I played it, uh, a, another three-player. I haven't played it four yet, um, but played a three-player before today. Um, so I played a three-player a couple of times, played it with Carter a bunch. I mean, I'm still enjoying playing it. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I look at a game like this, I'm like, well, who cares? I mean, the, the, the cost of the game, the investment is so minimal. If I only get 10 plays out of it, I've got my money out of it. Yeah. Um, and who knows? You know, Maybe uh, the expansion would breathe uh, that little bit of setup variability to it that would give it more legs. Uh, but as a presentation, the artwork, the ease of the gameplay, I really liked it. Um, so I'm looking forward to playing it some more, and I'm looking forward to trying it with four. I really wanted to get that done before I reviewed it. But it's just the stars have not aligned. And I figured, you know what, rather than continuing to hold on to the thing and not review it, uh, I'm going to you know, just go ahead and just let people know that we haven't done a four-player yet. So um, I, I definitely am going to be in, intrigued and looking for the expansion if it comes out. So uh, those are our thoughts about Guns and Steel, designed by Jesse Lee, uh, artist of Jody Henning, uh, and then it says Mango, and Yar. Two separate names. So somebody who goes by Mango and somebody who goes by capital Y-L-A-R. So don't know who they are, but I do commend them for their art because I really like the art. And since we talked about it, I thought, well, we should definitely say something. Um, and uh, I was just kind of surprised as I looked at those names and said Mango. <laughs> just okay. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, uh, our review for Guns and Steel uh, by Tasty Mistral Games, designed by Jesse Lake. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of Quick Looks. This has been Quick Looks 28, reviewing Guilds of London and Guns and Steel. Both titles are from Tasty Minstrel Games. Guilds of London is currently available on sale uh, over at GameSurplus.com. And Guns and Steel, I'm sure, will be in stock soon there as well. So if you uh, are intrigued by either of these titles, go check out GameSurplus.com. Put an order in with them. And you'll discover the same thing I have about uh, Carmen and Elaine and their dedication to the board gaming hobby. So uh, thanks to Lloyd for being on the show again. It was a pleasure to have you again, Lloyd. Always thanks. It's always fun, and uh, I know people have been missing you a little bit. Not that people haven't been enjoying TC and, uh, you know, my other guests, but uh, uh, it's really nice to have a chance to record with you again. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more over the summer. Uh, now that our schedules have loosened up a little bit. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, summer vacation. Absolutely. It's the best. So for Lloyd Keller and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening and have a great night. <laughs>